when you think of Sweden and music, you probably think of this. Mamma mia, here I go again. Mama, how can I resist you? Or maybe this. Maybe this. That was Abba's Mamma Mia, of course. Then The Rain by the Swedish heavy metal band Ethereum. And then the Swedish folk group Triakel. Yeah. But there's something else happening in Sweden these days. That's Swedish Gambian rapper Adam Kanyama with the song Madame Villever, Wild Willy. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Today, we bring you something unusual and surprising, a visit to Afro-Sweden. In this program, we're going to meet a wide range of Afro-Swedish musicians. But first, let's hear from the man who started us on this journey in the first place. As it happens, an American and a longtime friend of our program. My name is Ryan Skinner. I'm an ethnomusicologist, cultural anthropologist, and associate professor at The Ohio State University. I'm married into Swedish culture, and it's been part of my life for the past 20 years. My kids are Swedish-American. My family and I spend time in Sweden every year. 15 years ago, I lived and worked in Sweden. I was a middle school teacher, and the school where I taught was introduced to me as an immigrant school. And I became very quickly aware of dynamics around race and ethnicity in Sweden. At the same time, I was recently returned from Mali during one of the periods of my fieldwork in that country in West Africa. And I quickly became involved in the local West African associations and communities in Stockholm. I got to know the Malians, the Gambians, and the Senegalese folks very quickly. I also got to know the musicians and collaborated with a number of them. So very early, I was roped into an African music scene in Stockholm as a chorus player, but also as uh, someone working to bring that music onto local scenes and stages. Back then, African music was exotic. These African artists were living in Sweden, but in effect, presenting themselves as foreign. So in 2003, Ryan had an idea. We organized a festival of choral players, the majority of whom were living and working right there in Sweden. It was called the Jelly Bango Kora Festival. The idea was to say that these folks are also Swedish folk musicians. And I think I was part of a moment in which that was happening. Artists were beginning to occupy those spaces and perform in ways that suggested that they belong there and were going to stay there. But that 2003 festival was just the beginning of the changes Ryan would observe. 10 to 15 years later, the conversation was no longer about African communities and Swedish society, but really we're looking at a new generation, I would say the children of these folks that I was working with in many cases, who were beginning to say that this dichotomy of us and them, Africans and Swedes, doesn't make sense to us. 
my mother is Swedish and my father is African or vice versa. I belong to both places. I am Afro-Swedish. By 2010, 2012, 2013, there was a new language being spoken by a new generation about what it means to be Black, African, and Swedish. Well, much more to say about the new generation, but let's go back to the Kora. The Kora player we are hearing is Maher Sisoko, one half of a long-standing husband-wife duo called Susu and Maher. We spoke with Susu by Skype from their home in Sweden. My name is Susu Sisoko. I'm from a small village in south part of Sweden. But when I was a child, my father, who, who is also a musician, he played with a Kora player from Gambia called Alajimbai. And I followed them on tours in Sweden and I heard a lot of the stories from the Kora and I was very fascinated by the instrument and the stories. So then when I was like 17, I tried more of the instrument, but just I just tried a little bit and then Alaji invited me to come and study in the Gambia. So then I was thinking, okay, when I finish school, then I want to go and study Kora. Susu visited Gambia with her parents, and then in 2000, she went and stayed for three months. She saw it as a chance to learn, but got more than she bargained for, an experience that would change her life. I was studying every day from like 10 to 4, like very intense lessons. But then when I came back to Sweden, I was having small concerts and stuff. I could play the basic. I mean, if I play for Swedish people who never heard the Kora, they can think, oh, wow. But if you hear a Kora player who is born to play the Kora, how they play, you can see it's a big difference. So she went back again and again and studied the Ngoni lute and the balafone as well. She learned to speak Mandinka and Wolof. In 2004, in Casamance, Senegal, she met her future husband and collaborator, Maher. But along the way, something unexpected happened. I was actually encouraged to study Swedish folk music when I was in Gambia, because when I was there studying the Kora, a lot of Gambians were asking me, but why are you studying our traditional music? Don't you have your own traditional music to study? That's Maher Sisoko's brother, Solo, playing Kora with Swedish violin player Elika Frizel. Susu's father played the accordion, and he sometimes performed with Gambian musicians. But Susu herself was more interested in learning Kora than creating fusions. She was part of a movement of young Swedes traveling back and forth between Sweden and West Africa. I think every person who does it, it's like spreading rings on the water, you know. So every person spread it to their friends and then more people come and then more people come and more people come. Susu and Maher did not set out to be a professional act. They just played together for fun. But fate intervened in the form of a marabou, an Islamic religious cleric. We saw a marabou in Siginshore and he said that we should play together and that we will tour the world. And he actually said that, okay, Maher, I know that you don't like very much to play with Susu because you feel like you can play more Kora than her. 
but still it's going to be Susu who will take you all around the world and if you play together you will be very strong together and so it was later on Susu picked up the guitar and they began creating songs of their own we sing in five different languages Swedish and English and French and Wolof and Mandinka Here's a track from their fourth and latest album, Made of Music. Uh-huh. He could hmm?
from Sweden and Senegal, Susu and Maher Sissoko. They've played in 31 countries around the world, just as the Marabou predicted. They sing about love, but also politics, urging African leaders to do a better job. So this is a story of a young African musician choosing Sweden as a place of hope and opportunity. But today's Afro-Swedish scene goes way back, at least 60 years. It might surprise you to learn that there are far more people of African descent in Sweden than in any other Scandinavian country, which led us to ask Ryan Skinner, why Sweden? Why Sweden? To speak of Afro-Swedish history, we really have to talk about two moments. The first takes us back to the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, when Sweden was a participant in the transatlantic slave trade. They built Cape Coast Castle in Ghana. They occupied St. Bartholomew in the Caribbean. That is also an Afro-Swedish history, and it leaves a trace. To talk about a more recent Afro-diasporic community in Sweden, however, we need to talk about another moment in history, and that begins in the mid-20th century, when we have waves of groups coming from the African world, different parts of it, the Caribbean, the Americas, and Africa, for different reasons, some seeking refuge and asylum, others simply seeking a better life. And for a long time, Sweden is accommodating them with rather generous immigration policies. Let's meet an artist who came to Sweden back in the 1970s. My name is Richard Serwaji. I originally come from Uganda. I moved to Sweden in 1978 because of Idi Amin's um, world that didn't want me to live in Uganda. They wanted to kill me because of my um, theater works. So I moved to Sweden and I've been living here now almost 40 years, working as an actor and musician. So here's a really important point. People coming to Sweden and seeking refuge and asylum in Sweden did find those things. However, the myth that many of them heard that Sweden was a place without race or that racism didn't exist in Sweden, these folks came and discovered that that wasn't true. Oh yes, most of the uh, black people living in Sweden, they're experiencing, of course, racism. You don't get as far as you can because of your color of the skin, and they don't consider your education as important. I mean, there are a lot of people that come from different parts of the world, Africa, that are doctors, engineers, and so on, but it takes a long time for them to become, again, the doctors they were, if at all. Most of them drive taxis, most of them clean. But Richard came as an artist, an actor, and a musician. Music came to me when I was very young. I would probably say I am a musician and work as an actor, <laughs> if that explains it. Music and theatre goes hand in hand. I have been recording since the uh, 90s, and I have bands here in Sweden since the 80s. I had a band called Zebra and Safari, and we played Swedish radios and television, and we made concerts all around the country. Yeah, and I'm still active doing music. I play music for films too.
Say 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 appears in the film Mirambilever, While We Live, which is filmmaker Donny Cuyate's first feature film in Sweden. He himself is a native of Burkina Faso, but Donny now lives in Uppsala, and this is his first Swedish effort. And he cast the role of Seiku, a taxi driver explicitly for Richard Ciceroaji. And at a crucial moment in the film, Seiku is riding with his nephew in a cab with a white middle-aged man in the back. And this man is clearly perturbed, even disgruntled, to be in a cab with two black people, it seems. And Seiku diffuses the situation by playing this track on a cassette deck in his cab. Say, say, say. And they get out of that cab, everyone feeling happy about themselves. You know, we live our lives sometimes worrying about uh, so many things, where the bread is going to come from, how is my life going to be in the future, and this and that. Instead of living in the moment and say, say, I will enjoy my life today. Life is a gamble, heads and tails every day. Oh, what a life at the end of the day. It's all up to you. So turn up the light and face your soul. Say, 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 today I'll enjoy my life. No matter what, say, 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 today I'll enjoy my life. Say, 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 today I'll enjoy my life. No what say 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 today i'll enjoy my life Love that song. Ugandan Swedish actor and musician Richard Seruwaji with Say Say Say. And here's another from Richard. The song is We Go Dancing, and he sings it in three different languages. No 
We go dancing, came to me early in the morning. Uh, I was in my country house. I was in a happy mood and the beat just started coming. First of all, it came through my own language, Luganda. I grew up with Lugandan English. Then suddenly I started having words in English too. And I said, okay. But then afterwards I said, yeah, but I live in Sweden. I am Swedish too. So after a while, I thought about it that this song is representing my identity as it is now in Sweden. Because I'm African, I speak English too, which has been part of my language. Now I live in Sweden and I speak Swedish. So I wanted to combine all those three to make the people that live also in the country like me get the feeling that they are also included in the feeling that you get when you are joyful and probably would like to jump up and dance. Richard Serowaji with We Go Dancing. In Sweden, Ryan spoke with one of the biggest stars in the new Afro-Swedish generation, Seinabu Si. But before they could talk, Seinabu had a request. Wait one second. Klaus? Yeah. Vi snodde ditt kontor. Yeah. Får vi göra det? Eller ska vi flytta på oss? En öl. To translate what I just said, I said, Klaus here came with what I wish for most of my life, a beer. A beer, yeah. Fun, wasn't it? Yeah, that's cool. was very gracious. We didn't have much time because she'd just gotten out of a rehearsal and she was sort of desperate for a break and a beer. <laughs> to introduce myself, my name is Sinabu C. and I'm a singer. My dad is from Senegal and Gambia and my mother is Swedish. I'm born here, but I've lived in both places quite a lot. I asked Sinabu how she relates to and identifies with her African and Swedish roots. We're culturally polar opposites, but I also kind of hate talking about it because I think it kind of emphasizes the differences. I would like to emphasize what connects everyone. But then Gambia is a very loud place. You have to speak up to be heard, generally. And in Sweden, culture is to be quiet and, and to know your place. So I think I've juggled that a lot. Trying to learn all the little different parts of each culture has been preoccupying my mind for basically all of my life. But I feel like I can be myself in both places, whatever that results in. Sinabu C breaks out onto the Swedish scene in 2014, winning an award for the best new artist. The following year, she wins an award for the best soul and R&B artist. She is flooded with accolades in the Swedish scene. 
by 2015 and 2016, that begins to spill over into the United States with write-ups in uh, the New York Times. And you can go into a Starbucks today and you can hear St. Abusi on the radio. I love it here Cause I don't know how to explain to them Why I'm beautiful Cause I am beautiful I'm back home they're scared Oh, so scared of me That I became scared of me I become scared of me The way you smile When you believe in a future The way you smile When you believe in a future is different It's different Now we moving forward Ever backwards Ever forward Ever backwards Ever and when the going gets rough And life gets tough Don't forget to We have this thing in Sweden, which is crazy. It's called vardagsrasism, which is everyday racism, which somehow kind of like takes the edge away of it. You know, and people talk about that a lot, like vardagsrasism in Sweden. And my dad used to talk about that. So it's always been like that. Um, maybe the difference is now that a lot of us, our parents came here as the first generation. And now we're born Swedish, but we're still of, you know, African or whatever different descent. It's easier for us to kind of get into the system and connect and, and feel brave enough to do things. Maybe that's why so much is happening right now. Now we moving forward, ever backwards, ever forward, ever backwards, ever. When the going gets rough and life gets tough, don't forget to breathe. Sinabusi's music is strongly rooted in soul, and soul has a very deep root in Sweden, uh, one of the most popular genres of popular music since the 1980s. In Sinabu's generation, there are more people of mixed heritage from Africa and Sweden. It's a growing community, empowered in various ways to speak out. But really what she'd rather be doing is making beautiful music and conveying the emotional depth of the feelings that she brings to her sound. I deal with emotions, like how to convey them, how to write about them, how to sing about them, because it's come to a point where it's in our faces, it's affecting our everyday lives, as it did our parents. But people my age, we're all at an age where we feel like we have to do something. And to answer how, how my music fits into that, I make music for feelings. If it inspires anyone to fight the power and do any political action, more power to you. If it inspires someone to make a decision that they don't want to do that, that's totally fine as well. At the 2016 Grammys in Sweden, Sinabusi takes home the award for the best pop artist. She then takes the stage for a live performance on national television. The track Hard Time starts. Gradually, women from offstage begin to populate the stage enter into the audience, fill up the auditorium. They are all black, they are all women, roughly in Sinabu's generation, and they are all standing stoic, looking straight ahead, as if to say, we are black women, we are here, we are part of Sweden, we are proud, we are beautiful, and we're going to make a statement. 
Moving through the silvers of your will I mastered the thrill You took me for granted and burned Call it love if you will I'm painfully aware of this Yet I tried for the longest Not to make this uncomfortable seem Uncomfortable for you I work me gray and blue Just to make you stay I let it simmer to a boil Let it dance on the ledge Let it break into what becomes Becomes me and you Let it scream me to death Let it muffle my breath of a Hard time forgiving Even harder forgetting Before you do sign You might regret, friend Hard time forgiving Even harder forgetting Before you do sign You might regret, friend I can count on my hand the times I've seen black women on the public eye and I remember every single time that has made me happy. And I just went, that's so sad. That's so sad. And I started Googling covers of magazines and I realized that for every maybe 25th cover, there might have been one very light-skinned person that might have been black. They might have been in Vogue beforehand or in a Drake video. And then they might get a cover in Sweden and it's so pathetic. And, and then they want an applaud after that. It was like, you guys don't ever take risks when it comes to our art. You know, never, ever, ever will they take a risk. And that made me so sad. So that's why I put that amount of people on stage, because I felt like, okay, if you don't show our diversity, I will in the only way I know how.
All right, Senabusi with Hard Time. We're taking a visit to the surprising world of Afro-Sweden with our friend Ryan Skinner. You can read our interview with Ryan and find links to Afro-Swedish videos and so much more on afropop.org. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. You might regret friends. My name is Stevie Lee Adun Mensa, aka Mensa High Life, and uh, I'm a teacher, I'm a writer, a producer, musician, and a uh, dancer. My parents were born in Ghana. I was born in Sweden myself. I grew up in a typically Ghanaian household, and I think it was that contrast that made me uh, create art with both the African traditions in mind and the modern Swedish traditions and uh, somehow I managed to fuse it. Stevie grew up in Sweden in the 1980s and 90s when a particularly violent form of racism comes onto the social scene. You have Nazis who are threatening people who are not white. His family was the victim of far-right aggression. He is formed by that history of violence in Sweden. It's not something he can separate his Swedish experience from. And that helps to explain why Stevie was so moved when he finally got around to spending time in his ancestral homeland, Ghana. Moving back in January 2014, it didn't take long for me to realize that there's so many lies when it comes to the conceived notions of what Africa is and stands for. It wasn't hard for me to maintain the excitement of being in Africa and take in everything that Ghana had to offer. Now, Ghana is home, and definitely more home than Sweden will ever be, because the issues that Sweden has are far more disturbing than Ghana or Africa will ever have. Talking to Stevie, I proposed the idea that perhaps things may be changing. Over the past five to 10 years, we've seen a fluorescence of Afro-Swedish public culture in music, theater, film, and dance, and that we might be experiencing something we might call an Afro-Swedish Renaissance. I agree with you that in around 2013-2014, something happened when it came to embracing those African roots in Sweden. Because growing up, you know, in the 80s, none of that was around. I remember myself because my situation was quite different because my father came in the 50s, but most people who came from countries like Ghana, Gambia, Uganda, Eritrea, they came in like the 70s, the 80s, and they're goal was to learn the language quite quickly and become a part of Sweden. My parents' situation was different because my father, he was a respected drummer in Ghana and his drumming and dancing and theater groups, they were serious. Wherever he went, he went with that state of mind. And my mom, who came here in the 70s, she was the same. She was dancing all kinds of Ghanaian dances, showing 
the rich culture that Ghana has. That was something that she was very proud to showcase in Sweden in the 70s, traveling around and inspiring people and then getting people to try dancing these dances. And, uh, you know, other African households that I went to, they didn't really have that. in second grade in Stockholm, Bromma. I performed a Ghanaian song wearing traditional Ghanaian clothes in school, and you know, I was kind of bullied for it. But for me, it wasn't anything that felt strange because this is something that was ongoing in my household. Stevie is deeply invested with a number of different genres. One of those is hip hop. He grew up with hip hop as a kid. He learned to break dance and learned to rap in the 1980s and 90s in the schoolyard. Dublader, you're bleeding, is a hip-hop track through and through. Dublader means you are bleeding. I got the title because of my brother after he was attacked by skinheads and I got to see him in the hospital where he was in a coma. You know, he looked fine, but he was bleeding from under his ear and that always stuck with me. So that's the reason why I called it uh, Dublader, you're bleeding. Vissa ladies säger shit som får tiden att stanna Andra kvinnor gillar det jag har innan för pannan Vissa gaddis gillar det jag har innan för brallan De kommer in i gamet och ska spela alla ballar Men vet om inte vem jag är Men så high life ska berätta om mitt liv ni ser Riktigt hard strike växte upp men fick inte se Fair human rights Sätt er i planet jag ska ta er på en flight Börja 1981 i Vällingby Jämtlands gatan 138 Porten smällde sig Dagligen av pundare kokvarare de skämdes ej Jag var mycket nyfiken men de sa neger bort med det Jag börjar göra min egen grej Inspirerad av min brorsa Jag börjar hänga efter honom Han ska gå till morsan Det bästa som jag kunde göra med mitt liv då Var att ta tag i det som skulle bli min ridå Jag började dansa, ville ta mig till hans nivå Så inget offer, men så heller ingen toffer 87, det var året Jag breakade som Torrent Running man utan backup plan Yo, you know it from it stand Om ändå didn't understand, but didn't show it Now Steven, yo, du är det fucking man But you're a boy kid 1988, det var då jag började poppa Inga jävla piller utan old school breakdance-filmer Breaking on Wheat Street Det var min skit på Free so when Stevie was growing up, hip-hop was coming of age in Sweden. Not just hip-hop, but R&B and soul was already there. A lot of these reference points are coming from an American and particularly African-American context. These are the sources and resources that people are drawing on to express their emotion with being Black in Sweden. In the 2000s, we begin to see rap that's in Swedish. We also begin to see new kinds of fusions, including popular music that's being infused by musics of the African continent. And this changes the mix. Now the reference points are homegrown, and that has a powerful effect on the nature of music making and identity formation in the present. Through art people started embracing it more. The dances, I would say, was first, and then it started coming into the music that kids in the suburbs were doing. And if you look at it today, that's one of the most common beats, the, the kind of Afro beat urban music in Sweden. People talk about it like Afro trap, Afro soul, Afro dance, Afro hip hop. So people are really embracing and I feel like the bond between Sweden and African arts is much closer. Um, I really think that now in 2018 we've come to a peak of that. 
When Stevie went to Ghana in 2014, he had been listening to Ghanaian music his whole life, from folklore and high life to hip life. That's distinctly Ghanaian sensibility comes through in his track, Kakenakai. Hey, I feel like sort of happy. Hey, like me very much, even though I'm not that yeah. down. Smart style don't usually rap. See, I be the one that take control and taxis. <laughs> I don't like backseat. Oh. I love it when he does say my name in the maxis. Parties, they never invited artists. Oh. Blackie, yup, in Europe they got Steven Yadul Mansa, aka Mansa High Life, with the song Kakenakai. Hey, hey, hello! Ryan Skinner introduced us to another remarkable Afro Swedish artist, one with quite a unique story. 
My name is Jason Diakite. I am uh, 43 years old. I'm born in Sweden. My mom is a uh, white American woman and my dad is an African American. My dad came in 68, my mom in 69. So I was raised in a home that was more or less an American home, an African American home, white American home. But of course, the town, the country that I grew up in was Sweden. Jason's parents divorced when he was young and his father's household took on a strong diaspora identity. My dad has strong ties to Nigeria. He spent six years there as a boy. There were a lot of Nigerians. Then also, you know, people from Tunisia, Algeria, from the Congo, Cameroon, Ghana, Senegal, Caribbean, Trinidad, South Africa, India, and of course, African-Americans. And so I grew up, when I was at my father's home, hearing those conversations and those uh, perspectives on politics and world events, but also on being black in Sweden. They'd often turn to me at points in the conversation and be like, well, Jason, you're Swedish. What do you think about this? And I always felt kind of singled out and not belonging at that point because I was the one Swedish representative. Because one kind of significant thing about my dad's home is there were rarely Swedish people there. Of course, Jason was Swedish, but also a young black man in a land of white people. In his lessons and teachings, he was always telling me that I needed to learn about how to be a black person in this country. My first six years of school, I was basically bullied every day. Racist, invective, different variations of the N-word. The school environment was showing me that you're not one of us. And in the home environment, there was that same talk but from the other side. No, we're not a part of this. It was always, you know, the United States is terrible, it's, it's so racist, but it's also the best country in the world and so much better than Sweden. That's what I was raised to believe. So at a young age, I got a deep sense of not belonging. From this conflicted upbringing, Jason Jakite went on to become a famous and successful author and Swedish hip-hop artist. In fact, discovering hip-hop was in a way his salvation. It came early in 1989 when a cousin showed up from Brooklyn bringing cassettes of Rakim and Eric B. It was like a homecoming in a sense, or a feeling like I had arrived at something that I could really identify with. These rappers, they're so cool, they're so angry, forceful. The way the beats sounded, the way they dressed and carried themselves, the dancing in the videos, and then of course the lyrics. It made me want to be a part of that culture. I just bought into it hook, line and sinker. Jason was just 14 at the time and immediately started writing raps of his own. This is at a time when few around him in the city of Lund even knew what hip-hop was. Of course, that would soon change. The early Swedish rappers rapped in English and imitated American sounds. Then this rapper Petter came out with his first record and it just made me want to rap in Swedish. And at the same time, it made a whole lot of other people want to rap in Swedish. So then rap music in the Swedish language was, if not born, it was solidified and became very widely used. And now very few people rap in English in Sweden, very, very few. From the start, Jason brought a unique perspective to Swedish hip-hop, a political perspective, as in this early song, 
Spandau Paranoia, addressing racism in Sweden. Jason says the art of sampling opened a window into all sorts of other music, Swedish punk, alternative American music, and of course, music from Africa. I mean, discovering Fela Kuti was incredible. Just that sense of why has nobody told me about this before? In 2004, Jason and his producer Muntz spent two months in West Africa and recorded a number of songs there. At that time, we had kind of left sampling and Mons was playing the different instruments, which gave us even more freedom to extract and kind of remix, remake. And one of my most successful songs that I've done in my career was recorded in Ghana. It's called Alla Vil Ti Himmelen, Meninga Vil and was what we felt, me and Mons, was our version of what the music sounded like in Ghana. Ah, 
All right, Jason Jackite, a.k.a. Timbuktu, with a song that translates, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> This comes from what Jason calls his world music phase in the early 2000s. Jason spoke to us about the Swedish perspective on Africa. We don't have the same history of slavery that Britain or the United States has, nor France for that matter. So there aren't as many old wounds that need to be healed. The reality is that while Sweden did not play as significant a role in the transatlantic slave trade or colonialism on the African continent, it wasn't entirely absent from these processes. And in those moments, it was also being influenced by the rhetoric about whiteness and blackness, about racial difference. From the 1990s until the present, a number of skeletons have come out of the Swedish closet. Among them, more open and politically active far-right groups. This has really flourished with the rise of a political party known as the Sweden Democrats, predicated on ethnic nationalism and an idea that there is such a thing as Swedishness. Necessarily, that assumes that there are some people who are and others who aren't. 20% of the Swedish population, at least, has some kind of non-European background. And so when you have a politics that says there is one way of being Swedish, a fifth or a fourth of the population are going to necessarily be excluded from that. And the rise of this politics of cultural and racial difference has caused an enormous amount of turmoil in recent times. Well, they've been turbulent. It's like Sweden is growing up in a sense and is going through an identity crisis. This old notion of us being a post-racial society has had to be abandoned with the growth of our own fascist rooted alt-right party, the Sweden Democrats entering Swedish parliament with extreme right-wing terrorism on the rise, the burning down of refugee camps and racism kind of resurging. The Afro-Swedish identity has woken up and is claiming its space in Sweden. Our guide, Ryan Skinner, notes that Mensa Highlife and Timbuktu are not the only artists giving voice to the concerns of Afro-Swedes. The song Daxadokahem, Time to Go Home, was released on the 8th of September, a day before the most recent parliamentary elections in Sweden, 2018. And it is a reference to a flyer that was sent out over the summer in July from a minor far-right political party that said, it's time to go home on the front page. And it was sent out to a variety of people, but the message was quite clear that if you are not white, not ethnically Swedish, as they say, then after this election, you're going to have to go home. So this group of Afro-Swedish musicians got together, created a poppy Afro-pop tune with lyrics that speak directly to that message and say, uh, if the Swedish public chooses this path, then people like us don't belong here and it's time to go home. Hey, Mandels, come near, come near. I'm not going to come near, come near, come near. Grabbar jag måste säga jag har tolika nyheter De som får stanna i landet är sådana som heter Peter Som jag ser på saker står vi mellan dessa valen Vi ses i röstlokalen eller ses på terminalen SD de sa att det är dags att åka hem SD de sa att det är dags att åka hem Jag åker hem, jag åker hem 
It's time to go home. An ironic taunt from a collective of Afro-Swedish artists under the name Mandems. People are standing up, no question. There is resistance, and I think Sweden is like in many places at a crossroads. I'm following the story of those who say that there is another possible Sweden, and I'm encouraged by the fact that their voices are so loud, strong, and artistically compelling. The folk duo Susu and Maya Sisoko are also feeling the need to speak out. We feel that we have to work against it. So it's like giving you motivation to work harder and to be out there. I mean, we feel that we are important because people see us as a link between man, woman, black, white, Europe, Africa, whatever. That's what I hear from a lot of people in our audience. When they see us play and sing together, they get hope. Thank you, Sosu and Maher, and thanks to all the Afro-Swedish artists we heard on this program. And special thanks to Ryan Skinner for, well, let's hear it from Jason Jackie Day. Ryan, again, thank you for telling the stories of the Afro-Swedes. Ryan is writing a book on the Afro-Swedes as we speak, and he singles out Jason Jackite as a key player. He is beloved in Sweden by almost everybody. And so, yes, this moment is turbulent and this moment is fraught with peril. But people like him genuinely give one a sense of hope. So I think Jason is definitely someone like Sinabu, like all of these guys, are beacons. So true, Ryan. Funding for Afro Pop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. And from PRX affiliate stations around the US. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Visit afropop.org for Afro Swedish videos and our interview with Ryan Skinner. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Ryan Skinner and Badding Air. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn, New York by Stephanie Lebeau. Additional engineering by Greg Hartman. Banning Air and CC Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Mukwe Wabesi Yolwe, and I'm Georges Collinet. Mama's <laughs>